You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 73 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I have special guest, Dr. Carolyn Stone, joining me. Dr. Stone is a licensed naturopathic physician in the state of Arizona and owner of Stone Naturopathic. She has a passion for helping women with thyroid disorders who are looking to get their life back. She was tired of seeing women brushed off by their health practitioners or given unnecessary treatments and thus made it her mission to serve these women in a way they deserve. Helping others return home to their true selves is her ultimate goal. Given the high prevalence of thyroid disorders in North America, I wanted someone to come on and talk about thyroid health who was an expert. And due to so much misinformation on social media, when I found Dr. Stone, I knew that she was the person to come on and bust all the myths that are out there. We talk about signs and symptoms of thyroid disorders, the appropriate lab tests to get from your doctor, and ways to treat thyroid disorders from both a natural and conventional perspective. So if you or someone you know struggles with your thyroid health, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stone. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. I'm just super excited to be here with you. Oh, well, the pleasure is all mine. So before we dive into our conversation, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into naturopathic medicine? Oh, that's a great question. So I always knew that I wanted to be a physician. It's never even been a question in my mind. It was just always something that I knew I was meant to do, but I didn't really know I wanted to be a naturopathic doctor because I grew up in Ohio and naturopathic doctors are not licensed there. So I'd never seen a naturopathic doctor. I didn't even know what it was, but it was probably, I think it was my junior year in college. And all of a sudden I started to panic because I realized I didn't want to be the type of doctor that I was, uh, that I was seeing, you know, I, I was in a, a medical fraternity and we had all these different specialists come in from different areas of medicine and we got to shadow some folks. And I was like, gosh, this is not what I imagined medicine to be. Even though we didn't have naturopathic doctors in Ohio, my pediatrician growing up was very naturopathic minded. I don't think she really realized it, but she was. And so that's what I was used to. So when I started seeing how these other doctors were operating and just, you know, in and out of rooms so quickly and not even really engaging with their patients, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I panicked and got on my, I mean, my laptop at that time was probably as thick as a bio. (laughs) It was so big and clunky. I've like hardly ever used it. I was like, all right, internet, here we come. So, you know, I started searching and eventually landed on naturopathic medicine. I was like, Ooh, okay. What is this? And so I first start reading about the principles, you know, there's six principles in naturopathic medicine that we practice by. And once I started reading those, I was like, okay, this is, this is what's resonating with me. And so of course, all right, well, you know, I'm almost through college and now I got to figure out how I'm going to get into naturopathic medical school. And for me, you know, there's only so many schools. So I, got lucky that there was one in Arizona. Now, of course I was coming from Ohio, but I was super excited to get out of the cold and the snow and go somewhere sunny. 
So ended up over there, um, did, of course, four years in Asia-Pathic Medical School there. When I was in medical school, I never thought I was going to focus on thyroid health. Wasn't even a thought in my mind. I always thought I was going to be really into diabetes. I have family members with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, so I know a lot about that because I spent a lot of time studying that. But once I get out into practice, I realized, oh, this is not... <laughs> not really what I wanted to focus on. And it wasn't really what was coming my way either. Mm. And so I kind of had to find my footing because I had a lot of women coming to me who had hormone problems and adrenal problems and thyroid problems. So I had to go back and really, you know, review a lot of that information and study it. And it has been so much fun doing that because I started my practice in what uh, my private practice, I started in 2013. I graduated in 2011, um, but it wasn't really until gosh, probably five or six years ago that I was like, oh, thyroid's really what I love to do. And that's where I kind of went all in on that. Of course, I still do a lot of other, uh, see a lot of other conditions in my practice, but I realized that thyroid was the thing that resonated with me. I have Hashimoto's myself, so I knew how to handle it for myself. And I just wanted to share that with the world because I think that's the most important part of medicine is you don't keep medicine to yourself. You share it with the world so that other people can get better and we can all get better together. Mm, I love that. That is exactly why I started this podcast and I reach out to experts like yourself because I'm like, when I find information, cause I'm not an expert in all of these different topics that I bring people on my show to talk about. Um, so when I find someone with information, I just, I want to put it out there. So I love that that's your mentality as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's docere, right? That's one of our principles is, is doctor is teacher. And so it's my job not just to teach my patients, but I also feel it's important for us to share. I mean, that's one of the good things about internet and social media. You know, there's not, it's not all good for sure. Um, but one of the beautiful things is that we can share information and it doesn't mean I'm the only one with answers or that my way is the only way, but I think the more that we share, the more we can learn from each other and everybody can grow together. A thousand percent. So, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of my listeners, they're very into health and wellness, but maybe some of them don't really know much about the thyroid. Could we, could you just give a little rundown? Like what the heck is our thyroid? What does it do in our body and what happens when it's not functioning properly? Yeah, absolutely. So the thyroid gland, a lot of people think it's up, you know, some people know it's in the neck, but they often think it's much higher than it is. So it's kind of in the lower part of the, the neck. It's part of our endocrine system. And so the endocrine system is full of different glands and organs that, that control all sorts of hormones, right? The ovaries are in the endocrine system, the testes, all of that. So the thyroid gland is controlled by the brain, right? It has this feedback loop. And so you've got the hypothalamus, which is kind of the director. And then that tells the pituitary gland, which is connected to the hypothalamus, it tells the pituitary gland what to do. And then the pituitary gland sends a signal to the thyroid, right? So we've got some terms that people may or may not be familiar with. So we've got thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH, which is the most common screening test for thyroid disorders. It's not the only or the best test, but it's the most common screening one. And then that TSH, which is produced by the brain, tells the thyroid gland to make T3 and T4, which are more of our active thyroid hormones with T3 being the most biologically active. And so the thyroid gland, man, it does so much. It regulates our body temperature. 
It controls, you know, for women, controls their, their menstrual cycles. It helps us maintain our weight. So it has a lot to do with metabolic health and it's connected to so many different things. It's connected to our sex hormones. It's connected to our adrenals, right? It's connected to blood sugar control. It's connected to our liver. So it really does a lot in our body. And when your thyroid gland is not working well, man, it's, it's a bear to deal with. So the most common things that I see are Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. So you Hashimoto's is autoimmune thyroid. Um, Hashimoto's can, can have hypothyroidism or it could just be Hashimoto's. Uh, and then hypothyroidism by itself is kind of a, a different beast. That's not an autoimmune disorder. That's more endocrine side of things, but in those cases, so I'm not talking about hyperthyroidism, that's kind of a different, different ballgame here, but with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's, it can be very disruptive. We're talking low energy, dry skin, dry hair, hair loss. Um, you can lose your eyebrows. You can be gaining weight, even though you're doing the same things you've always done, eating the same way, you know, exercising the same way. All of a sudden you start gaining weight. It can affect your mood tremendously. Depression and anxiety affects your gut. I mean, literally head to toe, there's probably not an area that it doesn't affect in some way. And and so many of the symptoms, I think what's difficult is a lot of the symptoms are symptoms that people tend to brush off, you know, so what you're tired, you're an adult, like, isn't everybody tired or, okay, I'm a little constipated. Well, maybe I just need more fiber. Right. So there are a lot of symptoms that people tend to ignore or put off for a long period of time. And then if you're not getting the appropriate screening for it, it's very easy for it to go undiagnosed for long periods. Mm, and that was going to be my next question. You segued perfectly. So what are the, you talked about TSH being the most common screening tool. I'd love to know what other screening tools conventional doctors use, maybe some potential consequences or not consequences, um, problems, issues with those screening tools and additional ones that you would recommend. Yeah. Yeah. So typically, at least in the U S I know it's different in Canada, but because that's where you're at. Yeah. So, um, in, in the U S oftentimes they're only running TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone, which really doesn't even tell you about thyroid function, tells you more about brain function than anything, but it, it's, it's a good test to include, but it can miss a lot of things. If you're only checking the TSH, you're only getting one small piece of that entire pathway. So TSH could be maybe normal, uh, but maybe T3 and T4 are off. If, if my patients are lucky, their primary care will have run a TSH and a free T4, but oftentimes that's not happening. So for me, in order to properly assess thyroid function, specifically thyroid, right? There's other things that I test around the thyroid to assess overall health, but for thyroid, I want to see TSH and I don't go by your standard lab values either. So in the US, most common lab reference range is about 0.45 to 4.5. All of the research tells us that once you get above two, maybe 2.5, that is suspicious for thyroid dysfunction. But for some reason that research has not translated into clinical practice, which makes absolutely no sense to me, but it is what it is. So TSH, I usually want to see it less than two. If somebody's trying to get pregnant, I want it less than one. Uh, free T3 and free T4 are the other, are two others that I would run because you could be, so 80% of what your thyroid gland produces is T4. Only 20% is T3. And then T4, once it's released from the thyroid gland, has to be converted into the active T3 by other tissues, especially the liver, but also the muscle and a couple of other places. So if you only check T4, okay, great, you have enough T4, but are you converting it well? 
And you can't tell that unless you're checking T3. And you got to check the free ones because if you are only checking total T4 or total T3, some of that's going to be bound up by protein. And if it's bound up, your body can't use it. So I need to see what's actually free and available for their body to use. So TSH, free T3, free T4. And then I always screen for thyroid antibodies because you can have elevated thyroid antibodies, which is a sign of autoimmune thyroid disorder. You can have those for like eight years before it ever starts to affect the TSH. So in the conventional system, if you're only checking TSH, well, if somebody has Hashimoto's or has an autoimmune thyroid condition, you're not catching it until there's already been enough cellular destruction for TSH to be low. If we can catch it early on, it's so much easier to turn it around. That's my favorite. It doesn't happen very often, but when I'm the first one to diagnose somebody with Hashimoto's before TSH and free T3 and free T4 are off, man, that's golden because we can very easily turn it around. So you've got to check those antibodies. And there's two ones and two main ones that we check, which would be TPO antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies. So those are kind of my five main tests that I run. And I'll even say with antibodies, somebody can have autoimmune thyroid disorder, but not actually have elevated antibodies. So if I'm still suspicious and their antibodies are negative, then I'll run a thyroid ultrasound and look for evidence of autoimmunity on there. Interesting. What would um, come up on that ultrasound? How would you be able to tell? Yeah. So there's a few things. So the main thing that I look for, so typically the thyroid gland is supposed to be very smooth, right? It has what we call homogenous tissue. If it's heterogeneous, meaning that it's lumpy or bumpy, that's a sign of autoimmunity. So if I see heterogeneous tissue, I know there's some type of autoimmune activity going on. Now with Hashimoto's, um, there's going to be higher risk for, let's say like cysts and nodules and those types of things, but those aren't necessarily specific to autoimmune versus the, um, the heterogeneous tissue is. You might also see that the thyroid gland is enlarged. Mm -hmm. So that could be another sign. Again, it's kind of a non-specific finding, but just gives us more evidence that, okay, hey, labs are looking fine, but there's something going on here. And so even if I'm not quite sure if it's autoimmune, I'll often treat it as if, because I think it's somewhere up to like 90% of hypothyroidism cases are actually Hashimoto's. So even if I don't necessarily see it on the labs, if I'm suspicious for it and everything else has been ruled out, I'll often just treat it as if, but usually there's some little bit of evidence in there. Wow. That's really, really interesting. I didn't know that so many of hypothyroid was Hashimoto's. Right. Right. So it, it kind of like is mind boggling that they don't check for Hashimoto's when you know that the majority of cases are going to be of, of hypothyroidism cases are going to be Hashimoto's. Like, why wouldn't you screen for that? But then it kind of makes sense because a lot of what we do to treat Hashimoto's is going to be lifestyle based. And that is not something that my conventional friends are well-trained in. So for them, no matter if you have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, you're probably getting low with thyroxine and that's kind of the end of the road. So when you don't have enough tools in your toolbox, it doesn't make sense to check those things because you wouldn't know what to do with them anyways. So can't really blame them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Canada, um, they do check, um, free T3, free T4, sometimes reverse TSH mm -hmm. and antibodies. So, um, that's at least that's great. Yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And my doctor, uh, I mean, I sing him praises all the time. He's conventionally trained, but very on the natural side of things. So he's like, you know, looking for SIBO and, you know, doing all the, awesome, all the things I know. Um, I feel bad. I have a lot of us friends that like their doctors don't even want to run these panels. And it's like, you're paying for this. 
yeah, big, big dollars they're paying for it. And it's, it's pulling teeth to get them to do those types of things. I mean, there's lots of tests that I can order for my patients, but we're always trying to get insurance coverage as much as possible. So some, sometimes it requires them to see an endocrinologist or a gastroenterologist to get the appropriate testing. And when they won't do it, man, it's frustrating. I mean, we always have cash options. So at least there's that, but still, like you said, it's expensive. You're already paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you know the prevalence of thyroid disorders in the U.S.? Oh gosh, it's a lot. In fact, well, I'm trying to remember. I want to say I just did an article not that long ago. I can't remember, but it's very, very, very common, and a lot of them go undiagnosed. That's kind of the biggest thing for me is that a lot of thyroid disorders go undiagnosed, and I think it has a lot to do with the reference ranges, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are only, hey, you know, you could be up to four point two five on your TSH and you still don't have a thyroid disorder for their standards. So yeah, I don't remember the numbers offhand, but it's, it's very common. And I would say as far as like the autoimmune side of things, autoimmunity is getting more and more common. I have seen, and of course it's my focus. So I'm going to see a lot of it, but just in general across the board, I mean, I know so many people with Hashimoto's and autoimmune thyroid disorders that some people more on the graves side of things, whereas more hyperthyroid cases, but it, it's very prevalent. And even, even thyroid cancer, you know, yeah. is up there as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, what are the normal reference ranges according to you for T3 and T4? I know you talked about TSH, but what would they be for T3, T4? Yeah. So free T3 and free T4, I usually want to see them in the upper 50% of the range. So you take whatever the range is, right? 50% and above. That's where I want to see it for those. Okay. So those need to be higher. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are your more active hormones, right? So because it's on this feedback loop, so basically as your T4 and T3 increase, it sends a signal to the brain to decrease your TSH, Mm -hmm. right? So it's what we call a negative feedback loop. So as, as the, the active thyroid hormones go up, the TSH will go down and that's, that's what you want, right? Obviously you don't want to go too much, right? In the wrong direction, but yes, T3 and T4 on the higher end is what I want to see. Yeah. Interesting. I had uh, my TSH was at 1.18. That's great. And, and, uh, at first it was like, Ooh, this is really low. Like conventional medicine says that's Ugh. really low. <laughs> and, uh, and then my doctor actually, I don't know if you knew this in Canada, they changed the reference range to be oh. lower for TSH. So he's really? like, you actually fall in the normal range now, which I thought was amazing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I don't know what units you guys use for TSH. Like if it's the UIU per ML or like what the, what the unit is for a measurement. So it might be a little different for the U S yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. So yeah. you talked about, um, medications, uh, levy, how, how do you say it? Levothyroxine, which is yeah. the same thing as Synthroid essentially. Synthroid. Yeah. Right. So is that the common medication that's being prescribed? Are there other ones that people are using? What's going on with that? Yeah. So most common in the conventional world is going to be levothyroxine or Synthroid. It's cheap. It's easy. But the problem is, is that it actually has gluten in it. It has some fillers in it, things that might negatively impact certain folks. Right. So, you know, there's, there's reasons why you may not want to do that. And levothyroxine is only T4. So if you're giving that, you're assuming that someone can convert that into T3, which is not always the case. 
So sometimes what they'll do is they'll give levothyroxine and Cytomel or leothyronine. Those two medications are T3 medications. In my experience, I haven't found Cytomel or leothyronine to work very well as far as increasing T3. It's almost as if you get to a certain point where people are experiencing side effects, but we're not seeing their levels go up. And so I've tried that with some folks and in my experience doesn't work as well. There's also other um, thyroid medications. There's things like tyrosine, um, which comes in liquid form and capsule form. That one's actually pretty clean product. So if somebody can get insurance coverage for that and they're converting, well, it's a T4 product, um, then, then that's actually a, a good, you know, conventional medication. Oftentimes what I'm using in my practice is either going to be natural desiccated thyroid or a compounded thyroid medication. So with the natural desiccated here in the U.S., NP thyroid is probably going to be the most common one. Nature Throid has been off the market for a little bit or has been hard to find. Um, they're used, uh, Armor Thyroid is another one uh, that's uh, natural desiccated, but I see a lot of people have side effects to that. So I don't use that very often. Heart palpitations is one of the big things that I see with that. So I don't really like using that as much, but NP Thyroid has been fairly consistent. It's had its issues for sure, mm-hmm. um, but it's been fairly consistent. And then you've got compounded, which is great because with compounded, I can put as much of T4 or T3 as I want in there. We can do it all without fillers, right? So it's a very clean, but it's also more expensive. So the... The problem oftentimes comes down to, okay, finances, right? Levothyroxine, Synthroid, often covered by insurance, very cheap. They often have no copay for that, or it's very small, right? NP thyroid, they'll have a bigger copay, but it's still usually very affordable. Compound is going to be more expensive. So you have to take costs into consideration as well. And there's a lot that we can do. If somebody has to take, let's say, Levothyroxine or Synthroid, there's other things I can do to try and support their T3 and support the other you know, pieces of their thyroid health. Mm-hmm. How would you know if someone's not converting T4 to T3? Yeah. So what I'll see on labs is that their T4 is in the optimal range. So it falls in that, that upper 50% and the T3 doesn't, right? So the T3 will be on the very low end of normal or might even be low. So that's a sign that they're not converting well. Some people will use um, reverse T3 to try and assess for that as well. I often find that reverse T3 doesn't give me any extra information that a good free T3 and free T4 does. I'll run it in certain cases just to make sure I'm not missing anything, but I often don't find that necessary. Mm -hmm. What if someone has had their thyroid removed um, Mm -hmm. either fully or partially Will they need to be on medication for the rest of their life? What what does it look? Yeah. 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 There's just no getting around it, right? If you don't have the gland there to do what it's intended to do, you're going to have to replace that function somehow. So yeah, more than likely, even with a partial thyroidectomy, they're going to be on medication for the rest of their life. Some some with a partial thyroidectomy might be able to get away with like a thyroid glandular. Um, That's really potent, but most of the time they're going to need medication. Yeah. Interesting. So given the, that, you know, more natural medicines don't have the regulation, are there any concerns with using glandulars? Not so I guess it depends on what types of glandulars you're talking about, right? Cause natural desiccated thyroid is typically, you know, technically glandular and that's prescription. So that's 
you know, well-regulated, yeah. <clears throat> but then you have over-the-counter glandulars where it can get a little tricky, right? Because they're, they're not as well-regulated. And so, you know, you might have one pill that has X amount of T3 and T4 in it and another one that doesn't, yes. right? So that can get a little tricky. So quality really matters there. And you just have to kind of keep that in mind. So I've had some patients who wanted to get off their thyroid medications and, and were trying a glandular. And so you just have to monitor it pretty closely until you see that you're at a stable level. I've had, you know, mixed results with some of that. Some people were able to get off, you know, their medications and just use a glandular versus others. It was like, eh, this is not a good fit. And we kind of went running back to, to medication for them. So it's individualized. Yeah. And, you know, I think I know like in our space, the, a lot of people demonize medications, but sometimes they're actually just needed, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true because I get a lot of people are like, Oh, I want to get off my thyroid meds. And I'm like, okay, but you've had Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism for 15 years. Your function is not what it used to be. Maybe if I had gotten you when you were first diagnosed, we could recover some of that function. But when you've had an autoimmune process going on for 10, 15 years, well, you can't recover some of that cellular destruction that's occurred. And so, yeah, I'm not a fan of demonizing medications because there is a time and a place. And when, you know, you're, when you're the one that's suffering, right. It, it, it really makes a big difference. So I'm always a fan of helping my patients reach their goals, whatever they might be, or at least try for it. But you know, not everyone can get off thyroid medication. I would say more often than not, if people come into me on thyroid medication, they're probably going to stay on them. We're just going to optimize them. Yeah. I love that. Um, when you compound medication, what does that look like? Like do you, do you take like a synthetic form of T3 and T4? Is it a natural form? Good question. So, I mean, I'm not compounding myself. (laughs) The the compounding pharmacy is doing that, but yeah, you have options. So I could tell them, Hey, I want to compound natural desiccated thyroid. Here's, here's the ratios that I want, or, you know, maybe we need to do synthetic. So you can, you can really, that's the beauty of compounding is you can kind of put in there whatever you want, as long as it fits in a capsule and the pharmacist can do it, then you have full control over that. Yeah. And then, you know, like you said before, you could be getting X amount of milligrams or however they measure it, but when you compound it, it's specific to the, to the T, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if I find that someone is not converting well from T4 into T3, well, then I'm going to make the ratio a little bit different than what I would see. in maybe an NP thyroid that's, you know, prescription or, uh, you know, from the standard pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a lot of compounding pharmacies in Canada. I feel like every doctor needs to listen, listen to you (laughs) their thyroid patients. Cause it's not like you're saying don't ever use medication. It's like, how do you optimize the medication for your patient? Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, seeing the lab values is just one piece, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to the person that's sitting in front of you. I'm not treating lab values. I'm treating humans that have lots of other things going on. And so just because their labs look good, if they're not feeling good, something's off, Mm -hmm. either something that's not related to their thyroid or it is their thyroid and they don't fit into the, the standard box, right? So people can still feel off, even if their levels look good. And that's, that's where the art of medicine comes in and, and you have to figure out why that might be if it's lifestyle or another condition, or they just need different than the standard person. Right. Right. So what do you think is going on in our world today? That's contributing to more, um, autoimmunity, because I don't think it's that we just have more information and that it was always there. I I think the data supports that it is more prevalent, Mm -hmm. um, and thyroid disorders, what's going on in our environment. Yeah, I think, I think there's a few things. Well, I think it's environmental. 
right? What are we being exposed to through our food, our air and our water? Yeah. You know, in, in the US, our water has fluoride in it. And we know that as a halogen that that can displace iodine and iodine is, is critical for thyroid hormone production. So we know that there's other things or there's xenoestrogens in our environment, right? Through, you know, products and those xenoestrogens can affect thyroid function. So I think there's a lot in our environment, particularly in the US, that is promoting that. Uh, the other piece I would say, I mean, for sure, you know, yeah, testing might be a little bit better. You have more naturopathic doctors looking for antibodies and stuff that maybe weren't. So that might be a small piece of the puzzle, but I really think a lot of it is environment. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Ah, it slipped my mind, but yeah, I, I, I think environment has a lot to do with it. And I also think, oh, the other thing I was going to mention is, is our metabolic health. So I often, when I'm looking at a patient, I'm like, okay, is this really a thyroid disorder? Is this a metabolic disorder that has turned into a thyroid problem? Because we know that blood sugar dysregulation negatively impacts thyroid function. So somebody has a blood sugar problem and here in the U S that's like 80% of people or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> I think it was like, what 12, 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. So that means the remaining are not. And so that means we have lots of blood sugar problems, lots of insulin problems, and that means more thyroid problems. So I think it's environmental and I think it's, you know, metabolic health as well, are the, the two big factors for the increase in that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when it comes to lifestyle, uh, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack. Can you cure Hashimoto's or reverse it? Great question. So no, once you have an autoimmune disorder, you've had the autoimmune disorder, but you can put it into remission. So those are different things. And I like to clarify that because it's not like, oh, once you put it into remission, that it never comes back. No, if you go back to eating junk, not exercising, a living a stressful life, then for sure, it's going to come right back out to play. So I like to use the term remission, not cure, because that's more accurate. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people saying like, drink this tincture and cure oh, your Hashimoto. I can't. Or... <laughs> oh, this thing's driving me crazy. I'm like, okay, y'all, this is not, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> drink celery juice. And cure <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not with the celery juice. I mean, might be very well hydrating, but it's not going to cure your Hashimoto's. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Um, so what are, some of the other lifestyle factors that someone can do to help support their thyroid? Great question. So I always start with nutrition, right? Cause gut is at, at the you know heart of all health, right? So I always think about, you know, what are they getting enough? Well, I work with a lot of females, so I'm going to kind of focus on that, but a lot of females are not getting enough protein. So I got to make sure they're getting enough protein. Right. And because if you don't have enough protein, that means you're not building muscle and that means you're not converting your T4 and a T3. Uh, so I'm focusing a lot on nutrition. So adequate protein, managing their blood sugars is another big one. So we have to watch that processed sugar intake, their intake of refined grains, and particularly with Hashimoto's, you know, definitely got to cut out the gluten, but I'm often having them go grain-free because I just get better results with that. Depends on the person, right? We might go grain-free for a period of time and then slowly trickle some things back in if they feel like it's working for them and not having a negative impact. Um, yeah, and plenty of healthy fats, because we know that that supports the steroid hormone pathway, which means healthier cortisol levels and healthier, healthier hormone levels, which will impact the thyroid. So the thing that I've been using a lot lately, as far as nutrition 
goes is actually using more of an animal-based diet, which I've talked about on my Instagram page. And I have found phenomenal results with that across the board, not just with my thyroid patients, but across the board. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really speaks volumes. So the animal-based diet, um, there's different ways of doing it. it. Depends on kind of who you ask, but it's very, you know, obviously focused on animal protein uh, and then filling in the gaps with plenty of fat and, and good, healthy carbs, but no vegetables. Right. So that was kind of a weird thing for me as a naturopathic doctor. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell people not to eat vegetables. This feels wrong, but I'm often just doing it for a period of time, kind of get their inflammation down. And then we start reintroducing foods to see how they do. So for a lot of folks with autoimmune disorders, I recommend some type of elimination diet some type of elimination diet. Now you could do food sensitivity testing, but I've, I'm seeing greater results with my elimination diet than I am with food sensitivity testing. So some type of elimination to find out what works for your body. Everybody's body's a little bit different. There's things that, you know, I don't tolerate that someone else with Hashimoto's tolerates just fine. So kind of finding what works for your body and your gut. So nutrition's a big piece. Exercise is huge. And for women, man, the cardio bunnies, they, they love to just, you know, be on their treadmill or run really long distances and not ever pick up weights. And so I'm often trying to convert them into, Hey, yeah, cardio is good, but I need you lifting weights and I need you building muscle because again, that's going to help support healthy thyroid function in a lot of different ways. Um, of course, sleep, sleep is huge because that's when we heal. That's also an important piece of adrenal health. And so I'll have a lot of folks who come in with thyroid disorders who have some sort of adrenal dysfunction, which now we're referring to HPA axis dysfunction, but I think more of the public recognizes adrenal dysfunction or adrenal fatigue. Um, so making sure they're getting adequate sleep is huge. So seven to nine hours for that dealing with their stress. That's another kind of adrenal thing as well. That's an inflammation thing as well. When we're stressed, we are inflamed. So that, that can take a lot of work. That that's a big piece. Cause I got a lot of people who are in jobs that they hate, but they don't know how to get out of them or relationships that they're not happy with, but they're not willing to do therapy. So stress management is a huge piece of that. Um, what else? I mean, those are, those are the big things for oh, getting plenty of sunlight because we know vitamin D is critical for autoimmune conditions. And it's hard here in Arizona once it hits summer because it's really hot out. Like it was like 113, 117 the other day. So getting out in the summer gets difficult, um, but trying to get people to get out and get regular sunshine, which also means, you know, educating people about the fact that the sun does not cause cancer um, and, and making sure that they're protected, but that they're getting out and getting enough vitamin D. So those I think are the the big ones. Yeah. And I think like, um, I'm not sure if you know the stats, but you don't really need to spend that long outside, <laughs> like on a really warm day. I think it's something like 10 minutes and yeah, you can yeah. get enough vitamin D that you need. Yeah, exactly. And of course it depends on your skin yes. tone and where you're located and all those things, but that's where, if you've seen the D minder app, if you've ever heard of that, it's like no. D yeah, it's D M I N D E R D minder. And if you go on there, you can put like your location, you can put your skin tone and ask you some other questions and it'll tell you. And of course it's all just a guesstimate, but it kind of gives you an idea of how much time do you actually need to spend outside to get adequate vitamin D. So there's apps that help with that too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. Yeah. Do you see a lot of, and I'm going to focus on women because I know there's a lot of women 
that have thyroid issues because they exercise too much and under fuel. <laughs> Absolutely. All the time. And getting these people to like slow down is probably yeah. one of the most difficult things. So I see a lot now they're, you know, my type A patients who are just, they're go, go, go. Right. Which I love. I love that. That's the kind of person I am. So I kind of know what it's like. Cause you have to, it's, it's an, an art and a trick to slowing down when you're used to moving really fast all the time. But that type of lifestyle under eating over exercising is a huge stress to the body. And like I said, oftentimes there's going to be adrenal dysfunction that leads into Hashimoto's, you know, typically with Hashimoto's, you've got a genetic predisposition. So you've got family members with autoimmune disorders, not necessarily Hashimoto's. It could be something else, celiac disease, RA, whatever it might be, but there's a predisposition there. But just because you have a predisposition doesn't mean you're going to develop Hashimoto's, right? To, to actually move towards Hashimoto's, there's usually some type of gut dysfunction and some type of, of trigger. And that trigger could be a stressful event, like having a baby, getting married, getting divorced, losing a job, I don't know, pandemic, right? All of these things. So, you know, stress is a big, big factor when I think about things that will trigger the onset of Hashimoto's and the, that type of lifestyle of under eating and over exercising huge stress, especially when it's done for long periods of time. Yeah. 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 That's definitely something in my past that I struggled with, with amenorrhea and, um, you know, overcoming all of that. My thyroid was, you know, way off. And then when I mm -hmm. actually got back to healthier weight and started fueling and stopped doing so much cardio, <laughs> <laughs> things got a lot better. So yeah, yeah all, all of the cardio Queens out there, it's who don't build muscle. It's not doing you any favors. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not demonizing cardio. You know, there's nope. a, there's definitely a room for that in there, but you've got to, to build muscle for sure. And you've got to eat enough food. I'm always struggling to get women to eat enough food. Like people come in and, Oh, I'm doing 1200 calories. Like, what? That's for a child. <laughs> Please let's eat some more. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way you're going to build, right? You can't build in a deficient state like that. Yeah. So yeah, got to fuel your body. Yeah. I was a personal trainer before I went back to school to study psychology. So, I mean, you know, if people can walk every day, weight left and do something like Pilates for stability and mobility, like it's just a, a perfect recipe. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's all about balance. Right. And being, I think being in tune with your body is a big part of that too. Yeah. Knowing when you need to rest, knowing when you yes. need to push, you know, there's that, that balance there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, I could just talk to you for hours and hours, so <laughs> right. all help. Um, but I won't keep you for too much longer, but I like to finish off each podcast with some special questions and I've recently mm. changed them. So they're a little bit more thought provoking now. Ooh, how fun. I like it. Okay. So if you found out the world was ending in a year, how would you spend the rest of your time? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I would spend it out in, out in nature as much as possible with my family and, and my pets and any animals really as much as possible and just enjoying life. I'm, to me, it's the simple things. So I'd probably be doing, I don't know, I'd probably be doing similar to what I'm doing now, but at a slower pace. So I wouldn't be working quite so hard. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that's a sign I need to slow down, <laughs> but yeah, probably would not be working quite as hard and really just enjoying nature and enjoying the people that I love would be the biggest things for me. Yeah. And eating steak if I can. <laughs> <laughs> We love steak in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> 
What is the lie you tell yourself most often? Mm, Not good enough. Not good enough. Not doing enough. Need to do more. Right. And that that's, and that's common for a lot of women. And just because we tend to take on that role as caregiver, right? Whether it's with patients or at home or just people in general, family. So yeah, just not feeling like you're ever doing enough for, for other folks. And I think that's, you know, common with a lot of healers or, or people in this space. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you're on social media too, and you're prevalent on social media can make you feel like you're not doing enough, but I mean, like you put out really quality content and, you know, just encouraging you, like you are someone that I highly value. I value your opinion. So I think you're, you're doing more than enough. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) What are the day-to-day things you enjoy doing the most? And do you find yourself doing them often? Oh yeah. Yeah. So definitely movement of some sort. So I'm a huge fan of lifting weights. So if I can sling around some kettlebells, like I'm a happy girl getting sun, sun, sunshine for sure. Like as hot as it gets here in Arizona, I love the heat. Like I'll go sit out in the 110 weather, you know, for 10, 15 minutes just to feel the warmth. I love it. So yeah, I would say those are some of my, Oh, meditation. Yeah. So meditation, strength training, and getting out in the sun are like my must haves every day. I mean, I always eat good food. I always think about foundations, right? Like what keeps us healthy, happy, and alive. And I do those things on a very regular basis. So I eat well, I hydrate, I move my body, I deal with my stress and I get out in some sunshine. And those are, those are critical for me. So I do those most days, if not every single day. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's really good. At the end of your life, what are three things you want to be remembered for? Oh man, that's deep. Okay. What are three things I want to be remembered for? I would say helping others would be one. Come on, I'm a doctor, right? So I had to say that. Um, Helping others, being kind and having a generous heart. Because I think that it's very easy to get jaded in medicine. Uh, I see this happen to a lot of older doctors um, and I get it. I get it. Cause it's hard dealing with humans, right? Cause we have, everyone's got their own thing. So it can be difficult and it kind of wears on you a little bit after a while. So just, you know, being kind and being generous in any way that I can would be the second thing. Um, and the third, I would say, hmm, for working hard. I think there's something to, and by working hard, I don't mean like working yourself to the bone. I just mean putting in an effort to fulfill your life's purpose, whatever that is, and focusing on that and really giving it everything you got, because I mean, what else is the purpose of life, right? Except to like find your, find your purpose and and really focus on that. doesn't mean you don't take breaks and it doesn't mean that you don't slow down, but yeah. Working hard towards the things that, that matter. I love that. Yeah. I love that. What advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? Good question. If you, if you are not getting the help that you need and you feel unwell, find a way, find a way, be resourceful. You might have to pay out of pocket. You might, and you know, it might be different in Canada, but you might, you might have to dig a little bit deeper but if you are not well, don't, don't stand for, well, your labs look fine. 
well, on paper, everything looks good. Like do whatever you can to feel your best and don't settle for anything less because you, you deserve more than that. I see so many patients who just get thrown into this system here in the U S and they just, they assume that there's nothing there or that these are the only options. So if you are not well, but your doctor's not willing to do things for you, take it onto yourself, right? Take, take charge of your health and figure out what else might be done. No, you can't do everything on your own, but there sure is a heck of a lot of things that you can. So be resourceful, reach out to people, find the help that you need and don't settle for anything less. Wonderful. And where can people find you? Yeah, the, probably the easiest place is to find me on Instagram. So it's Dr. Stone AZ or Dr. Stone AZ. From there, there's a link in the bio, um, uh, in my bio there that leads to my website, my thyroid book. If you want to grab that, um, any source of re- any um, type of resources, that's all going to be on Instagram. So that's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, just a side note, your Instagram is awesome. I love the content. Oh, that you put out. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Lots of hard work on into that. <laughs> I know it's so much work putting out content, yeah. like filming yeah. and editing and making sure you have, you know, the citations or you know, whatever. Know. Yeah. But it's fun, you know, cause it's, it's, to me, it's an opportunity to learn and relearn and, and share. Yeah. And cause you know, you never, learn fully about something the first time you share it. It's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this little piece. You get all these little reminders and it, I think it just keeps you sharp. So it's kind of fun for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate you. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content pretty much every day. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember... You are powerful over your health.